You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. So, did you all see Barack Obama debate Mitt Romney last week? Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't the president spectacular? I really think. You know, he's getting a lot of blowback for for his performance in debate. I just think people are misunderstanding the president's strategy. I think what he was trying to do, and this is a brilliantly executed move on the president's part, um, he was trying to shock Democrats out of our complacency. Everyone was sort of coasting to the election, just assuming Obama had it in the bag everywhere I went. I would talk to uh, libs, dems, and progressives, and they were just really confident overconfident. I think Barack Obama realized that he had to do something to shock these Dems, Libs, and Progs out of their complacency. And so he decided to suck dick at the debate last Wednesday night. And, and he did it beautifully. Oh, my God. If that was his strategy, strategy, to shock us out of our complacency, it was brilliantly executed because every Dem, liberal, and progressive that I know – and everyone that I don't know, but who's on Twitter, is in a spent the rest of the week in a fucking white hot panic uh, about the race in trade. You saw the president's uh, the, the the odds of the president win dropped. It was just like off a cliff down into the uh, high sixty percentiles. So he's still winning ish, uh, but nobody's complacent anymore. BarackObama.com. Throw him five bucks to make him feel better and to and to just – oh my god. You just had to feel so bad for the president that night. I hope it was their anniversary. The president opened the debate by wishing a happy anniversary to Michelle who is of course in the audience and I hope they took my advice. I don't know if the president and Michelle listened to the podcast but I hope they took my advice and fucked first and treated their anniversary like I've always urged people to treat – Valentine's Day, don't go out for a heavy meal and then go home and try to fuck because you're going to either fall asleep and not fuck or the fucking is going to be uncomfortable and unpleasant and farty. So I always tell people to fuck first and I hope to God that the president got his anniversary blowjob before the debate because nobody was blowing that man after that debate, not after that performance. Anyway, let's not be complacent. Let's make sure people are voting. Let's talk to our friends. Let's uh, be sure to tweet out all the fact-checking orgs that are unpacking Mitt Romney's appalling lies. And there were so many. I won't list them here. To our friends who thought that Mitt won the debate. And uh, let's make sure that we fucking vote. And donate. BarackObama.com. There's a lot at stake. Uh, Don't get complacent. That was the president's subconscious message, I believe, at the debate last week. Don't get complacent. I know that I woke up. On Thursday morning, anything but complacent. So salute to you, Mr. President, and I hope you got that Annie blowjob before the debate. Your call's after this. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. What would you buy with $500 of store credit at ExtremeRestraints.com? 
A fucking machine, a suite of electrosex gear, a collection of high-powered wand massagers, or luxurious leather restraints. If you use the coupon code GGG500 at ExtremeRestraints.com by Sunday, you'll save 5% immediately and you will be entered to win a $500 gift certificate. Hello, Dan. My wife is pregnant with our first child, and my mother would like to throw us a baby shower, which is awesome. However, she's told my wife that she's not allowed to invite my stepmother. My mother and father had a nasty divorce. My stepmother and my mother have never gotten along. Both of them are very guilty um, at prolonging uh, the hostilities. We think it's wrong for my mother to dictate who's invited. And also, just for the sake of courtesy, we feel that my stepmother should be invited, even if she elects not to come. Uh, the invitation is probably important. However, my mother is my mother, so we want to um, respect her feelings. This question is so much more up Prudy's alley. She's always dealing with these, you know, conflicts between, you know, moms and stepmoms and family horseshit like this. But I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to channel Prudy because I usually agree with her advice. Actually, I really like Prudy's column. I read it every week. Um, I'm gonna try to channel a little Prudy right here. Your mother and your stepmother are going to have to learn to get along. You aren't going to have, you know, two baptisms. You aren't going to have two birthday parties. You aren't going to have like separate performances of school plays that your mom can come to one and your stepmother can come to the other. They are going to have to learn how to be in the same fucking room. Why not rip that Band-Aid off right now? I would say to my mother, if I were in your position, you probably shouldn't throw the baby shower because you can't control the invite list and we can't not invite my stepmother. So uh, we're going to have the baby shower. Our friends are going to throw the baby shower. You and my stepmother are both invited and I think it's time for you to bury the fucking hatchet already because baptisms, birthdays, school plays, all sorts of shit coming up, you are going to have to learn to be in the same room together. And it's something you're going to do not for her. And not for me, but for your grandchild. Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 30-year-old straight female, uh, and I have a question about dating etiquette. So I have a date scheduled for next week from an, an OKCupid date, and uh, I've recently come to find out that he is the ex-girlfriend of a friend of mine and that in their relationship he was super abusive and generally bad news. But he's also super hot. I mean, he's a firefighter. And it's been a few months and I would really love to have super hot sex with him regardless of whether or not he is a good relationship material. So my question is, do I need to make my intentions clear? So we're going to go on a date next week. And while I have no intention of starting a relationship with him because of this information that I know, um, do I need to tell him that? Do I need to tell him that I know these things? Hey, it's Dan Savage. Hi, Dan Savage. So I'm, uh, we got in touch with you uh, and asked you to please share with us the photos of this insanely hot guy. And I'm looking at them now. And he is indeed uh, pretty hot. I I'd say he's hot. I'd, I'd fuck the shit out of him if I had the opportunity. There you go. My, my, my goal, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I am curious, though. When you say he was in a relationship with a friend previously and she tells you he was abusive – 
Define abusive. What do you mean? What has she said? See, that's the thing, is that I don't know details, and and, and I kind of don't want to know, to be honest. Don't you want to know if he was physically abusive, if he was sexually abusive? It, I don't I don't think it's, it's that. I think it's more like controlling, and, and some of his, like, okay, Cupid answers to, like, some of the questions, like, I can kind of see that, like... Like there's a question that says, "Would you, would you, if if your significant other wanted to go um, on a date with an, or uh, go out to dinner with an ex, would you be okay with that?" And and his response is, "Absolutely not." Okay, okay. So so abusive isn't the word I would apply in this case. Asshole is the word I would apply in this case. You know, when you say abusive, people you know picture. Somebody who's, you know, very controlling, isolating, emotionally or psychologically abusive, physically abusive. That's kind of, a, you know, a, a nuclear bomb of a word, you know, in dating. Sure. Land. That he's a controlling, immature dick and an asshole. That's a different thing. You know, I wouldn't recommend that you deal with or fuck the shit out of just for sport someone who is abusive because then you're putting yourself really in the line of fire. You could get hurt. But someone who's just a jerk but a hot jerk and you just want to – Fuck the hot jerk and then run as fast as you can from the hot jerk. I am totally down with that. So, so then the question is: Do I need to make these intentions like clear, like the the fact that that? Uh, or can you be an asshole to the asshole? <laughs> well, and the other thing is, is that like it's been like years since this happened, like five years. Do assholes change? Like, assholes can I? Assholes do change. People grow up. People, if they get dumped enough for being jerks, sometimes go through a little self-assessment. Sometimes, not always. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the hotter the person is, the less likely they are to do that kind of self-assessment because they're usually going to get a pass on assholery. If they're super hot, people will put up with just about anything. Um, so it's possible that he, you know, got dumped a bunch of times for being a controlling dick and he worked on that and is less of a controlling dick now. Or maybe he's conscious that he's a controlling dick and he tries to correct for that, but he needs some gentle nudging from a partner when he's with somebody not to be that way that he is naturally inclined to be. So you might want to give him a chance. Looking at these pictures, I would give him a couple of chances. <laughs> okay, but, but at what point do I need to like mess up? You know, <laughs> that, hey, I know these things about you, well, or I, I, I've heard these rumors about you, or we have, like, I'm friends with your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> I, I think that's something you disclosed pretty early on. Like, you used to date a friend of mine. And, and who knows? People have lied about their exes. You have your friend's, you know, point of view, her her take on what went down. You have some clues in his profile about perhaps he is as controlling uh, and assholey as your friend says. But maybe your friend is exaggerating. Maybe your friend was at fault or maybe he's not as big an asshole as she painted him out to be. You know, people do that to their exes. Hey, they hey, get... hey, 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 We can't talk about that about my friend. She's also a very big fan of you. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, okay, so no fan of mine has ever done a bad thing ever, I guess. We're going to round all the fans of Dan up to sterling and unimpeachable human beings. People sometimes out of hurt and subconsciously uh, credit ill intentions and assholery to their exes just to, you know, balm their own wounds. So give him a chance. Fuck the shit out of him. Give him an opportunity to demonstrate that he's not this controlling asshole, but be on your guard for evidence that he is controlling, perhaps tacking toward abusive. 
But I wouldn't I would encourage you not to throw the label abusive around. Uh because that seems not my word, but yes. Unless she's got more than just he was a jerk. Fair enough. Abusive, I think, is an unfair term to slap on a single guy in a dating scene. Point taken. Okay, good luck. Uh, fuck him and give us a call back and let us know how it went. Thank you so much for calling. Bye. This week, ExtremeRestraints.com is giving Savage Lovecast listeners a chance to win $500 of hot kinky toys and gear. When you buy anything at ExtremeRestraints.com and use the coupon code GGG500, you will immediately save 5% and you will be entered to win that $500 gift certificate. The winner of that gift certificate will be drawn on Monday, so get your order in by then. With $500 at ExtremeRestraints.com, you could get a fucking machine, a half dozen luxury vibrators, leather locking wrist, ankle, thigh, and back restraints, chastity devices over five gallons of premium lube, a silicone dildo for every day and every orifice of the week, or just about anything else you could imagine. Just enter GGG500 at checkout by Sunday for instant savings and a chance to win big at ExtremeRestraints.com. Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old married straight female living in a large East Coast city. And on the podcast, you always say, well, when a man says that he doesn't have any fantasies, he's lying, or I mean, not that he's lying, but he's he's saying he doesn't have any fantasies because he's hiding something big and scary. And so I jokingly said that to my husband today, and he was like, well... And it, so we started talking about that, and I was like, really? I feel like you should be able to trust me and talk to me about your fantasies. And it turns out that he does have fantasies, surprise, surprise, and they're pretty dark. Um, I would call them sadistic. Uh, he is interested in blood play, um, violence, bondage, sadism, um, kidnapping, rape, uh, some pretty dark stuff. I mean, nothing that, nothing that scares me. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued and I think I'm just sort of struggling with a couple of things. One is that we've been together for a while. I've been asking him this question for a while. We've been married for four years and he's just telling me this now. And that feels super hurtful. It feels like he never doesn't trust me. Um, and then, of course, I'm sort of in the back of my mind thinking, well, does this mean that he's never been satisfied with this very vanilla sex that we've been having for all these years? And, of course, you know, I asked him that, and he said that wasn't the case. So um, so there's that. I'm sort of trying to process my emotional response to it. I'm not really that freaked out about the fantasies. Um, I mean, they're a little freaky, and they're, they're definitely varsity-level, Olympic-level kink, um, things that I, you know, we'd have to take lots and lots of little baby steps to even realize them. He's not even sure he wants to realize them. They sort of freak him out, but he says that, you know, 70% of the time that he's masturbating, this is what's going through his head. This sort of, he, he sort of analogized it to Dexter kind of stuff. I've never seen that show. Um, so partly I'm freaked out by my emotional response, feeling betrayed, feeling hurt. And then partly I'm a little bit freaked out about, you know, blood play and edge play and cutting and, um, is that stuff that I should be willing to do? I, I feel like I am willing to do it. So I was hoping maybe you could point me to some resources, books or websites. Um, I'm I'm game. I'm interested in exploring his fantasies. I am interested in talking more about them, but I think um, I could just use some, some help. As I've said in the past, uh, 
to women, you know, you make generalizations about women and men and you're making generalizations, as I always say, about you know 3.5 billion people on the one hand and 3.5 billion people on the other. There will be hundreds of millions of exceptions. The odds that the exceptions would be listeners to my show are very high. So my apologies in advance for the exceptions. Men are a lot likelier to be kinky than women. Uh, a lot of men's fantasies tend to be dark. Um, there are, of course, kinky women out there with dark fantasies as well. When you press a guy about his fantasies, and a lot of women do this, people are more aware of kink these days, particularly in our post Fifty Shades of Grey environment. Um, but people are aware of fetishes, and they're less stigmatized than they used to be. And a lot of people have the attitude that you do, caller. You know, I'm pretty much vanilla, but I'm kind of hoping that my partner has some kinks so that we can have some sexual adventures together. Wouldn't that be fun? And then, you know, I get letters, I get emails, I get calls from. Young women who – you know, older married women who press their boyfriends or husbands about their fantasies, press them, press them, press them until the boyfriend just admitted it. And what the girlfriend or wife was expecting to hear was something about having sex outside where we might get caught or lighting a million little candles in the apartment like Rachel did for Ross in that one episode of Friends I saw when I was 12. Most men's fantasies tend to be kind of dark. Uh, you are much likelier to be told – um, that my fantasy is to get peed on or fuck you and your sister than you are to hear I want to make love under the stars or some such bullshit that people mistake for fantasies. A lot of people's sexual fantasies are about power. They're about control. Um, they're about fears that they have uh, sort of eroticized. You know, Their brains have churned through and spat back out as kinks. Uh, your husband's fantasies are kind of out there, not the – Bondage or the kidnapping or even rape, which is a very common fantasy, uh, but blood play, violence, when the person that you're pressing about their fantasies uh, trots out as an example a notorious and famous pop culture serial killer, that crosses a line where you really need to not rush in to that kind of play but take it extremely slowly because uh, you need to have long talks about – where exactly these fantasies are going and whether or not he has fully disclosed uh, all of his fantasies. He should have told you sooner. And I hear you when you say that you're hurt, but a lot of guys and a lot of women who are kinky have been deeply shamed about their kinks, particularly people who have dark kinks about blood play or you know bondage, kidnapping, rape. Uh, they will be so shamed that they think I'm just going to lock this in a box and throw it in the ocean and never even uh, tap into it except you know in solo sex when I'm masturbating because this is too scary and I'm never going to act on this so there's no need to disclose it and then they discover later in life you know in a long term relationship that they get to a point where they can't not disclose this stuff so please don't fault him entirely for the situation where he felt he couldn't disclose. Because a lot of people with dark fantasies just – because the culture tells them they have to lock that shit up, put it away and never act on it. And that sort of sexual self-repression kind of doesn't work. So it speaks well to your relationship that you've reached this point where he feels that maybe he should be more open about this with you. Maybe he trusts you and feels safe with you and he's rolling this shit out. There is tons of information online about kink. I would advise you both – to get your asses to a munch, to join your local kink uh, community organization. You will meet players who do blood play. Blood play 
you know, you throw that out there. It sounds so crazy. Uh, it's actually fairly common and fairly benign. Really freaks the norms. The muggles, you know, the kink muggles get very upset when you talk about blood play. I actually get upset when people talk about blood play. And I've been to some, you know, kink events where blood play, uh, you know, IML or Seattle Erotic Arts Festival where blood play demos were going on. And I get all freaked the fuck out and I have to go away. Um, but blood play is sort of in the kink community. I would call it, you know, the the dedicated kink community. Not that out there and almost mainstream in that environment. So you can learn more about it. Um, it can be explored safely uh, and in controlled circumstances. This isn't something though that two novices should attempt with each other. You need instruction and you need information. There's plenty out there. I would recommend you start with Jay Wiseman's SM101. There's a ton of other great books out there. Uh, that I'm sure other kinksters will now call in and make recommendations. But the place for you and your husband to start is not jumping into the deep end of the pool. It's not his Dexter fantasy, but going and meeting other kinksters, other players, reading, talking. Uh, the first times that you indulge these kinks, there should be no props. There should be no costumes. There should be no actual realization of any of the specifics of his fantasy. You guys should have totally – if we were watching a live video feed without audio, we should see nothing but vanilla sex going on the first few times you indulge this fantasy to just be talk. You should have the sex that you guys normally have while exploring verbally what his fantasies are and speaking of them uh, together and drawing him out uh, in an erotic way. Uh, that way. That's a really good and safe way to begin that kind of kink exploration. You don't have to jump right into doing it. You can jump right into dirty talk about it while you do what you're already comfortable doing together. Okay? But go find, you know, if your husband has these kind of fantasies and you want to go there with him, go find a responsible kink organization in your community. Meet other people who are kinky, who are players, who may be doing these sorts of things, who can help you to, uh, Really draw the roadmap that will get you to the Sex Olympics. But don't rush the process. Take your time. Your husband owes you an apology for withholding this information for so long. You owe him a little bit of understanding for why someone with his particular fantasy set might be inclined to withhold that information from somebody he loved for fear of being rejected. Good on you that you're not rejecting him. Don't feel like you have to jump into the deep end of the pool, though, to prove that you love him. Take your time. Take it slow. Nobody gets everything he wants. Nobody gets everything she wants. Just because he has fantasies doesn't mean you have to fulfill them or all of them. You can rule certain things in or out depending on how you feel about them after you've sat with them for a while. Good luck. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Stephen Colbert's America Again, Rebecoming the Greatness We Never Weren't. Narrated by Stephen Colbert, Tim Meadows, Jordan Ruderman. I haven't listened to it yet. I haven't read it yet, but it's going to be hilarious. You know it's going to be hilarious. Everything Stephen Colbert touches is hilarious. So for that free audiobook of your choice, which could be America Again, Repecoming the Greatness We Never Worked, just go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. 
Hi, Dan. Uh, I have a little bit of a moral quandary for you, if you care to respond. So a little bit of backstory. I am an 18-year-old gay male. I just returned from musical theater camp. And as you can imagine, there were quite a few closet cases in attendance. And one of these was a handsome young man who kind of took a shine to me. We hung out a lot. We danced together at the dance and yada, yada. And you're thinking, wow, that sounds great. Go for it. But one problem, he professedly had a girlfriend. Now, there were several opportunities where we were face-to-face, noses touching, and I could have gone in for a kiss, but I didn't because I kind of would have felt like a cheating piece of shit. But does that qualify as... I mean, it's cheating, but is it bad cheating? I don't know. Uh, I just wondered if you had any thoughts about this, about, uh, you know, cheating with people who are pretty clearly not actually romantically interested in the people they claim to be dating. Thanks. Love the show. Joining us by phone from Los Angeles is the Grammy Award winning, Tony Award nominated, Broadway star, star of uh, the Book of Mormon, Jersey Boys, uh, Hairspray, other shit, Andrew Rannells. Uh, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? That is exactly how it's pronounced. You make me sound so fancy. Well, you are fancy. You're also the star of The New Normal on NBC, which just got picked up uh, for 8,000 more episodes. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're very, very excited about that. And I thought it would be uh, fun to have you give advice to some 18-year-old musical theater camp attending fag who's wondering about (laughs) what to do when he has crushes on 18-year-old not-yet-out musical theater camp attending closet cases with with perhaps uh, fictional girlfriends back at home. Yes, with girlfriends. Yeah, Who may or may not exist. Trickier. Girlfriend's not at camp. Girlfriend is sort of a spirit animal, perhaps. Yeah, that is that is tricky. That's very tricky. So you're ever in that position? Um, you know, have I ever been in that position? Not really. No, I've been pretty. I've been pretty fortunate that most of the, the most of the guys, particularly like when I was young, um, that I had crushes on, were all sort of out and available. So I, I count myself as, as, as lucky, but, um, but I certainly, you know, first of all, congrats on the musical theater camp. Um, <laughs> you're a young listener. I hope you got to play some good roles. Uh, that's very exciting. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I was listening to that and I was thinking about, it. I've listened to it a couple times, that question. And, um, I think to try to put my 18 year old hat on, um, I think you kind of have to listen to what people are, what people tell you, so if he's saying that he's not, you know, that he has a girlfriend and he's not, he's clearly not in a headspace to, to, uh, to be out, then I think you kind of have to honor that. And you can't really, you can't really force anybody to, uh, to be ready before they are. So even I if think, that, wait, even if that person is dancing with you at th- musical theater camp and getting nose to nose with you, you I have know, to honor the spirit animal girlfriend. I would love to ask him how, on how many occasions did they get nose to nose? Because that's, I mean, that's a lot. If if the listener um, did not um, feel like you know confident enough to sort of pull the trigger on that while he was nose to nose, um, and neither did this this other kid, um, I feel like you kind of have to, you know, you don't want to force that stuff, but I feel like you kind of have to honor his uh, his position there. And that, you know, also crushes are good. I feel like it's good to have crushes. And sometimes the best crushes are un- unrealized crushes. Absolutely. Right? And you don't really need to like act on all of those because the second you do 
in my experience, the crush sort of ends. Like, then the crush part is over. And, and this is why you're a Tony Award-nominated, Grammy Award-winning television star, and I'm a scumbag, <laughs> because my advice is totally... I would give him the opposite advice, you know? Well, what would he say? Well, I would tell him that, you know, he could go in for the kiss. He doesn't have to go in for the dick, but he could certainly yeah. go in for the kiss. A lot of people don't, you know, who are 18 and closeted and tormented, they don't take sure. that first step out until there's a really terrific incentive, like this cute boy is willing to kiss me yeah and well that is that is a good point i mean it sounds like and i don't know i mean again not knowing the whole backstory there i'm not sure if this ship has sailed for for this guy though because if this was a summer camp romance and now they're all back to reality i don't know if they live in the same town or if they will see each other again but um if it didn't happen this summer i i, I would you know i would say and easy for me to say but like you know don't stress over this too much because there will certainly be more opportunities for this kind of um, this kind of fun, particularly and, if you're going into theater. Yeah, if you're going to the theater, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like you could throw a shoe and hit somebody to kiss. Now, uh, is there you know you have all these right wing religious Christian nutjobs all over the country who are concerned about you know the gay agenda and recruiting? Are they aware of these musical theater camps? Do they <laughs> are they even on their radar? Because they seem like prime recruitment grounds. I mean, uh, uh, yes, they do seem like prime recruitment ground, but thank God they exist. I did not, I hadn't, I mean, I had like community theater as a kid, which I guess was my equivalent to musical theater camp. Um, but I just watched a couple, there's a, a couple documentaries about various theater camps. One is I think about Stage Door Manor. The other one is about French Woods. Like I, I watched both of these recently and um, and it, it just seems like, you know, theater, theater fun for kids and a little hedonism camp yeah it's great you grew up in omaha nebraska i sure did and you're gay what was that like growing up interested in the theater interested in musical theater and such a talent as you are growing up in a place like omaha was it difficult for you well i gotta say like i don't know how in the hell i got so lucky but um i was born into a family that really sort of encouraged my love of theater even though i was the only kid in the family of uh three sisters and a brother and i was pretty much the only one who really um, had a, a had a big interest in it, and they were very supportive of that. And weirdly enough, like my best friends in, in elementary school, um, I had two, two kids I used to hang out with all the time, they also turned out to be gay. So I had like this great support system around me um, growing up that it totally made it, you know, cool for me to listen to the show tunes and occasionally swipe my sister Natalie's Barbies and play with those. And like, it was totally, I don't know. Like I just got very fortunate in that sense that, um, I was going to uh, say this isn't a typical, uh, growing up gay in Nebraska experience. Individual results may vary. Yeah, Nebraska yeah. sounds like it's one great big musical theater camp and it isn't. No, but it, it was for me weirdly. And I, I was doing a lot of theater as a kid and like a lot of, there's a lot of community theater and children's theater and like all sorts of, all sorts of shit that I got involved in. So, um, I, I won the, coming out jackpot, um, as far as I'm concerned. Any general advice for 18-year-old musical theater kids, whether they're queer or not, who want to be Broadway stars one day, as you are? I think that he, you know, particularly your listener, I mean, if he's going to musical theater camp and stuff, I mean, that's the thing to do, is I think do as much as you can in your in your area that's sort of available to you, and don't be in a hurry to sort of rush off right away to a big city or start auditioning for, you know... I mean, it, it, anything too big, I think it's... it's um, 
there's always time for that. And I think the important thing is it's, it's while it can still be a hobby and not a job, just make it a fun hobby and make that a, a fun thing. Because the second it becomes a career, then it's really a career. So while you're in school and while you're sort of, your focus can be kind of split, I think it's, um, it's important to sort of keep it light and keep it fun and, and do, do as much as you want to do um, that's available to you. But don't be in a hurry to sort of leave that pond. I think it's, it's, a, it's a good place to be. Okay, I'm a gay parent, and you play now on television on The New Normal, a gay guy who's about to become a parent. Yes. Anything you want to know about parenting to help you with the uh, – Well, you, not I mean, that you need my help with the acting. You're terrific. Well, you're very nice. But I, I mean we um, – I remember uh, uh, we had a little lunch in New York, if you recall, back right as I was, I was cast in this. Mm-hmm. Um, show, um, and we sort of we talked about it a little bit. Um, I I feel fortunate, and maybe I'm being a lazy actor here, but since I'm starting from scratch with this character, like since the baby is on its way, I feel like I'll kind of get to like figure that out as we go along. Terry wanted me to ask a quick question: the oh, dog on the new normal that yes. you and your husband boyfriend. What do you guys call each other on that show? Well, we're not married yet on that show, so we. Our boyfriends. Still technically a boyfriend, but we'll see what happens. So the dog on the show is named Smelly. Our dog is named Stinker. Terry wants to know if Smelly is an homage. Um, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> That's the right thing to say. I'll tell Terry <laughs> that you said yes. Andrew Reynolds, you should watch him. It's Tuesday nights on NBC on The New Normal. Uh, and also in Bachelorette, you can see almost all of you. Yes, you, you can. You the can, new film, um, Bachelorette. You play a stripper. I do. I play a part-time stripper. And you knock it out of the park. Well, thanks, Dan. Can we call you again next time we have a musical theater queen who Uh, needs a little advice? I would be offended if you didn't. Thank you so much, Andrew. Talk to you soon. Hi, Dan. Um, I have a question. I have been with uh, my wife for about eight, seven years now, and uh, uh, she just recently uh, said that uh, she's not really sure who she is and if she likes me, uh, we've had uh, troubles with our, our marriage for, oh boy, about maybe six, seven years. Actually, I think within a year, um, sort of the, the intimacy and the sex kind of went away and uh, it was always something that we had been working on. Um, and I, you know, personally had always loved her and really liked her and tried to figure out ways to either live with it or to try to figure out ways to improve upon it, but it didn't ever really seem to, to go anywhere. And we'd actually gotten it down to, uh, we would quote unquote do negotiations where uh, she would kind of be willing to perform intimacy with me uh, if, uh, you know, I would do something that would make her happy, like clean the house or do something like that. Um, what had changed, I guess, was she had gone away as part of her education to another city uh, by herself, spent about a month away. And when I came to visit her, I was very excited and very happy to see her. But when I got there, she wasn't. And what she realized was how happy you know, she was being in the city by herself. Um, and when I got there, how unhappy she was once I was there and how just generally frustrated and annoyed she was. Um, I feel like we've had an incredible experience together. I mean, I really enjoy being with her. And, and I do think that our issue with, you know, the intimacy and the sex is a big one. But I mean, for me personally, I really want to work on it. And I really enjoy being with her. I think she makes me a better person. And I really 
I really, really love her and I really like her, but I get the sense that this is it for her, that she doesn't really want to try. And anyway, she had said that she's moving on to New York for another month uh, for another part of her education and wants to basically take a break from ourselves. And she wants a chance to experience herself and maybe date other people and be intimate with them, not sexual, but kiss and hold hands and go out on dates with them. Uh, and see if she gets that type of excitement that she hasn't had with our relationship um, in a very long time, is what she says. And she doesn't think therapy is going to work, so she doesn't understand why we should try that. Um, And she's also um, questioning her sexuality and whether or not she might be lesbian or bisexual or what have you. And anyway, I, I feel like I don't really have a choice, so I agreed, but I really don't know what's the best thing? I feel like we're playing with fire and I don't want to ruin something. I really want it to work and I don't want to screw it up. If there's any advice you can give me, I feel like there's really nobody I can talk to about this um, and I don't really know what to go. Oh, I hate it when I'm put in this position. I hate having to be the bearer of bad news. I, I'm really mad at your wife uh, who is guilty of pulling the Band-Aid off in the slowest and most painful possible way, uh, it's over and she wants out and there's nothing you can do to force her to stay married to you. There's nothing you can do to force her to work on it. It would be wonderful if every time a marriage ended or a relationship ended, it was mutual and amicable. It isn't always mutual. Sometimes one person wants out and the other person is destroyed, is upset, uh, doesn't want out, is still in love and the other person is done sounds like your wife is done. Sounds like your wife isn't woman enough, isn't ovaried up enough just to fucking say that. So she is doing everything in her power to force you to end it. She is refusing to work on it. She's running away from you. She tells you cruel things like, I'm happy when you're not here. Oh, and here you are. And now I am miserable. That's kind of vicious. That's a little more vicious than just saying, we had a good run, let's be friends, I'm done, I want out, I want a divorce, which is where this is headed, including this I'm questioning my sexuality shit now. She is going – you know, I can't predict this, but I want, you know, to take a break where I am allowed to hug and kiss and be intimate, but oh, but not have sex with – bullshit. She's going to fuck other people when she gets to New York. Okay, that's just going to happen. She may go into it with go into the handholding and the kissing and the intimacy with the best of intentions. I'm not going to fuck anybody else. And then she's going to fuck somebody and then she's going to roll that out. She's going to confess. It'll be a tearful confession on the phone that it went further than she expected or hoped or thought it would. And that will then again be her trying to force you to do what she doesn't have the ovaries or the decency to do herself, just to pull the fucking plug and just goddamn end it. It is time for you to do what she somehow or other can't bring herself to do. This needs to end. It is. This needs to officially end. It is over. She is gone. She has left you. She has moved away. She is moving further away. It's over. I, I'm really sorry to be this blunt. I just feel like you're being treated badly and played for a fool and she is perhaps unintentionally exploiting your – still strong feelings for her in this way that's just really 
going to damage you so much more in the long run than just her lowering the boom and telling you the truth. You obviously have the capacity to love and to form this kind of attachment. You need to find someone else that you can love the way you loved her. That ability to love that way, to love her the way you do now, is not something that she gave you. It's not something that she brought to you or brought out of you. That was in you. And you can turn that attention and turn that love uh, to someone else, to someone who feels as, as strongly about you as you do about them. This woman does not feel about you the way you feel about her. And it is time to end it. Hi, Dan. I know it's silly to be calling a podcast over this. But my my boyfriend of three years and I got engaged two weeks ago. And and he died last week. And I just don't know how to live. I don't know how to live. Some calls you can't ignore. Some calls you wish people would had left a phone number so you could call them back personally. But you didn't, so I'm going to record a little message for you. Um, you need to get to a grief support group as quickly as you possibly can. Uh, you aren't alone in this kind of loss, which is not to minimize the pain you're experiencing or the loss uh, that you've experienced. Um, other people have lost partners, spouses, husbands, wives, children, um, and have been in the exact same place that you are. They didn't know how they were going to go on. They didn't know how they were going to get up that morning, the next morning, and just live. Um, but they managed and they got through it and they lived to love again. You know, this every time someone talks to me about a loss, a loss like this, when I lost my mother, um, these words pop into my head and it's, it's a little not so um, – considering the source in some ways because this is someone who uh, has spent her whole life not saying anything. And after 9-11, uh, when people were grieving the way you were grieving, when people had lost fiancés, uh, husbands, wives, um, boyfriends, girlfriends uh, in the Twin Towers, in the airplanes, um, in that field in Pennsylvania, and were grieving when the world was grieving, the Queen of England – Elizabeth II said, grief is the price we pay for love. And I think that is so kind of profound that, you know, what you're experiencing right now, the pain you're experiencing is the tribute to, the marker of how profoundly connected you were to this person. And what a risk that is to connect to somebody else that way, to love like that, is to invite that kind of pain. Um, it, it, not just to invite it, to it, it will come. It will come for all of us. You know, to love the way you love, to love my mother the way that I did, to love Terry the way that I do, uh, is to run the risk of feeling exactly how you feel right now. And everyone that you see every day when you get up and you leave the house and you look around, everyone you see is has either experienced what you're experiencing or will experience what you're experiencing. Because ultimately, we all lose our partners. Very few people in committed, loving, long-term relationships are perversely enough, lucky enough – is that the way you should put this? Are lucky enough to 
die simultaneously. Someone almost invariably outlives and has to bury the other and will feel as the, the, as much pain as you are feeling right now, um, which is not to minimize your pain. It's just to let you know that what you're going through and, and that this horror is a universal human experience. These are universally felt human emotions and you need to get love and you need to get support. And as I said to the previous caller who's only going through a divorce, who isn't going to have to bury his wife, the way you felt about your boyfriend, your fiance, he brought that out of you but it was in you. And as horrible perhaps it is as it may be to hear this right now, sometimes when you say this to people who've lost somebody – and you say you may – you will live to love again. They, they regard that as somehow betraying the, the person they just lost and it's not a betrayal to, to live to love again. That you will feel this way about someone else is not a negation of your feelings for the fiancé that you lost and all the possibilities um, and the life you could have had with him that now uh, is lost to you. But you will – Go on. You will stand on your own two feet. You will get through this as other people have gotten through this. You will lean on other people for support and one day those feelings that are in you, that this man that you've lost, this love that you lost, those feelings of love that he brought out of you, someone else will bring those same feelings out of you. You will feel this way about another person um, and you will – and you will survive and then invariably – I don't want to end on a down note, but you will f feel grief again because grief is the price we pay for love and it is a price that we should all pay willingly because a life without love uh, is a life of constant grief. A life with love is a life with moments and seasons of grief. My heart goes out to you. Please, uh, you didn't say what city you're in. You didn't leave a phone number. Please, wherever you are, just Google grief support group and get your ass to a grief support group and reach out to people who've walked the path you're on right now and can help you. Hey, Dan. My name is also Dan. Uh, Long-time listener, just listened to uh, Podcast 309, uh, the guy who was the Christian talking about uh, how he was trying to be an ally, but he doesn't support gay marriage. And uh, so the, the thing that really boggles my mind is that, you know, I'm Jewish and I don't really see any Jews protesting outside pork plants and and um, and you know, protesting against you know people getting you know not getting circumcised. Um, and, and so so the idea for me that that you know somebody is you know takes their personal beliefs and says, well, this is the way that it should be for everyone. It it just really messes with my head. It's just a, kind of the, like the height of arrogance that like that your specific interpretation of your religion should be the one way for everyone legally. And so um, you know we we don't live in a theocracy, thank goodness. And and uh, you know I think that that's you know what I try to tell all my religious friends is that you know believe what you want, but we don't live in a theocracy and we shouldn't live in a theocracy. So you know keep up the good work and thank you very much. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about your last podcast where you had a pastor who's trapped in a marriage where he can't have sex and he's not allowed to watch porn and also his faith is kind of anti-porn. You didn't really have an advice set for him, uh, and I have two pieces. Uh, first, get a laptop, uh, install Chrome or Firefox, and use private browsing mode or what Chrome calls incognito. And go to Xtube or xvideos.com or uporn.com or any of the many, many sites where you can get plenty of porn and you don't have to own it like 
uh, a video in your closet that's likely to get discovered by your wife. Um, second, you're a pastor. Uh, it's kind of your job to advocate for uh, the morals and the beliefs that you believe in. Uh, if you believe that porn is something that should be uh, fine for uh, somebody in an adult relationship to have, then how about having a sermon about that? And if you can't honestly have such a sermon that you believe in, in the church for which you are pastoring, it sounds like you're in the wrong church. Hey, Dan, it's Jamie from Jackson, Mississippi, and I was just calling to let you know that I've been putting off registering to vote for several months now. It seems like a really big hassle, and I was not interested. But this morning, I was listening to the podcast on my way to class, and decided that it was time to bite the bullet and go through with it. And so I just spent the last hour driving around in circles, going from building to building and office to office. But I finally am registered to vote, so there will be at least one person in my district voting for Barack Obama. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a call or question for a future show, if you have a comment about today's show that you want to make sure the whole world sees, go to thestranger.com slash lovecast, where there's a comment thread on each and every show. Uh, my thanks to Andrew Rannells for joining us today. And uh, my heart, again, goes out to that last caller. We are all rooting for you. Please, please uh, give us a call back and let us know how you're doing and let us know that uh, you're indeed uh, getting the help that you need. 206-201-2720 is the number. Give us a call. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We'll back at you next week another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.